just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water? The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 104, Marvel Super Special number 6, Jaws 2. And welcome back. Welcome to another episode of Marvel's Cosmic Comics. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm your host in this trip through time back, back, back 40 years almost, give or take, depending on when you're listening to this. If you're listening to this in 10 years, it'll be almost 50 years. That's how time travel works. But I'm your host, and I'm a comic book reader, a comic book writer, a comic book collector, and a comic book podcaster. And just to give you a quick overview, if this is your first time visiting this particular podcast, this is what we do. We take a look, and by we, I mean me and you, you and I, together, we take a look back in time at comic books that Marvel published featuring characters and situations that were not original creations by Marvel. Uh, so that includes like Star Wars and that includes what well, the upcoming Micronauts and that includes, um, Star Trek and 2001. And in this case right here, this is a Marvel adaptation of a big movie. And that movie is Jaws 2. In 1975, Universal released a movie that changed movies. Uh, the first real big giant blockbuster um, with the huge uh, opening weekend and stuff like that. And it was also a big first because this was Steven Spielberg's real big first hit. And it's, it's really one of those amazing things where, I mean, it made lots and lots of money, but it's, it's a classic and it's a classic for many different reasons from the music to the direction, to the acting, to the mechanical failures of the shark that caused it to be more suspenseful because they couldn't show the shark as much as they intended to. And so they worked around those, um, those limitations of, of what the shark could actually do. And, you know, honestly, I mean, art thrives on limitations and when you have these limitations where you have to figure out, okay, so what can we do instead? This was our original plan. We can't do that. What are we going to do instead? You start thinking in different ways, and it's a lot of fun creatively. Uh, now, I imagine that they weren't having quite as much fun as what I'm describing. When I'm involved in a situation like that, you know, the thing that's on the line is maybe a deadline. Uh, more, more likely, the thing that's on the line is, okay, we can't build this Lego thing. Can we build something different? And we end up with a spaceship instead of a pirate ship with my son. So, I mean, there, there's differences in, you know, scale, but I think creativity and art thrives under pressure and thrives under having 
limitations imposed on it because your brain gets thinking in different ways. Anyway, that's that's for free. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Jaws, but it's for free. So Jaws, successful, big money maker, and huge hit around the world. And so you know, you would almost say, well, naturally there would be a sequel. That wasn't always the case, especially back then. Now you would say definitely, naturally there's going to be a success, a sequel. That's why we have Transformers 5, which was so bad, so, 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 so bad. And it's still like, I'm still reeling um, from the pain that that movie brought upon me. But it's also what we have Jaws 4, I guess. <laughs> but uh, Back then, you know, this wasn't quite the same uh, environment. But they did decide to make a sequel. The sequel was released in uh, in 1978, and it was Jaws 2. It was not directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, he didn't want anything to do with it, from what I understand, because he'd been there and he'd done that. Now, he he wasn't against making sequels. I mean, he made four Indiana Jones movies, but in this case, he just wasn't interested in going there. So they brought in a whole new creative team and we get Jaws 2. Now, I don't think Jaws 2 is a bad movie. I think it's actually a pretty good follow-up to to Jaws. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, obviously, the, the details of the movie and of the, the uh, comic book that, that they used to adapt it. But it's, you know, honestly... Um, I like shark movies in general, and I think I'm not quite as much of a fan with shark movies as I am with, say, swamp monsters, you know, but um, the idea of the shark for me is that this is a real thing, and it, you know, it's uncontrollable. Like, nature, it's uncontrollable. We can't do anything about it. It's just there. And ultimately, you know, you can use technology, I guess, but... Uh, to to defeat such you know something that's coming after you like a shark but if you're out on the water you are out of your environment and you are in something else's environment and in you know if you are in a shark's environment then there's danger not a hundred percent certain guarantee that you're going to be attacked by a shark but you know there is the possibility and the shark is made for its environment and we are not made for the shark's environment. And that's what makes, you know, shark movies scary. It makes jaws scary. It makes jaws too scary. There's some tense moments in, in the movie in, in jaws Two. um, jaws three and jaws, the revenge, the less said about them, the better right now, there is definitely reason to talk about them in a conversation about Jaws. And, you know, speaking of a conversation about Jaws, my other podcast, Strangers and Aliens, uh, we did an episode where we explored the fake, uh, fake trailer that Universal released that went along with uh, Back to the Future 2, where they go into the, uh, the future and see, you know, Jaws, I don't remember, 12 or 10 or something like that. But, um, they did this fake trailer and it was really, really funny. And it just kind of, the, the trailer itself goes through like 19 Jaws movies. And so we did a podcast episode on Strangers and Aliens. It was episode number 165, where we pretend that it's a, an episode from a universe where all 19 of those Jaws movies were made. And so we, we talked about Jaws through Jaws the Revenge. And then, um, we talked through, 
and and, he, and just gave this false history, just building on what they were already saying uh, with with that trailer and talking about reboots and the you know what I what I was kind of surprised to find out was that when I was watching some extras on the Jaws two DVDs, that some of the things that we were making fun of, <laughs> having fun with. Um, they had planned on doing, or they thought about doing like doing a movie that was actually a flashback to um, the, the USS Indianapolis. Now that's not the route they took with Jaws two with Jaws two. They stuck with the Brody family. And I think that's definitely the right way to go uh, in part three and part four, maybe not quite the right way to go, but I do like it when there's continuity between sequels and it's not just here's a sequel that's a sequel because it's a similar situation or here's a sequel that's a sequel because it also has a shark. Uh, I'm glad they didn't do that. I'm glad they stuck with the Brody family, especially for this movie. Now, Jaws 2 has a special place for me because I actually up until hmm, probably college, maybe even a little bit after college. Uh, I'd seen Jaws 2 more than I'd seen the original because Jaws 2 played on Saturday afternoon movies uh, on one of my local uh, syndicated channels uh, when I was growing up. And my friend, Mike, from uh, from uh, seventh grade. Yeah, it would have been would have been grade seven. Uh, he he loved the Jaws movies. And so he told me about it and then I was watching for it. And so I had seen Jaws and Jaws two on TV, but Jaws two was the one that got more rotation. And I actually remember writing short stories about like all the kids in my class going on a class trip to the beach and getting eaten by sharks. And I had to save them. Of course it was me and my friend, Mike, we were, we were saving the kids and you know, it was uh, what do you, what do you call it? A, I guess the adolescent power fantasy or whatever, where, I I defeat the shark as, you know, bullies get eaten and girls fall in love with me. And yeah, so middle school, you know, you're a nerdy middle school kid. What do you do? That's what you do. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. Just saying it is. And it's probably not right. But anyway, um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> Jaws was a part of. Uh, my adolescence, uh, not necessarily my childhood, but Jaws 2 was a part of it. And there were certain, I, I don't remember really even seeing the beginning. It was always kind of a coming at, at the middle, at some point in the middle. And no matter what, though, I'd stay to the end so I could see that finale, the, t the point in, in the movie where Brody kills the shark. The other thing I had with Jaws 2 was I actually had a handful, maybe two, three I don't think I had more than three or four uh, Jaws two trading cards. And um, this was when I was little. I mean, I, 1978, I'm four years old. Um, so I, I'm not seeing Jaws two <laughs> in the theater for sure. But I had these cards. And I remember one was of Brody on the beach with his gun out from that scene. And, and there was, that's really the only one I remember. I just remember there was a couple cards and I don't know where I got it. I don't know how I got it. I don't know why I got it, but I had it. And so, um, yeah, Jaws two was, I guess it was a part of my childhood, but anyway, uh, Jaws two is one of those sequels though, where it's not, it's not better than the original, but, it holds up with the original. It makes a decent um, double feature. 
when you watch both of those movies together. It, it carries on with some uh, emotional beats with the main character of Chief Brody. And it allows us to see consequences from the previous movie. And I, I think I think it holds up as a, as a decent double feature. Again, we're not going to talk about three. We're not going to talk about the revenge. Not in this conversation. So let's talk about this comic, though. This was a Marvel Super Special magazine sized. There's a dollar fifty cover price on it. Um, on sale date was September twenty six. 1978, according to Mike's Amazing World. And it was a magazine, not a comic book. Uh, the cover is reminiscent of the Jaws posters, which have this shark looming below or behind an unsuspecting female victim. Uh, for Jaws, that's the, the poster that you've you no doubt seen, where the shark is coming up toward the swimming lady. Uh, Jaws 2, the poster that they did, was a water skiing lady who has a shark coming up behind her. And for the Jaws 2 magazine, for the Marvel Super Special, there's a shark coming up behind a woman who is very much aware of what is about to happen. It is an enormous shark mouth that is, looks like it could honestly swallow her whole. It's not going to swallow her whole. It is going to chomp her in half with those mighty powerful jaws. She is terrified as she is trying to swim away, but to no avail. So that's, that's the cover. Um, the artwork is by Gene Colan, which, uh, you know, I say that and instantly, uh, people who are listening right now are saying to themselves, wow, it must be amazing. And the short answer to what you just said is yes, it is amazing. Uh, the anchor and color were, uh, Tom Palmer, the letter is Irving Watanabe, and the writer is Richard E. Marshall. And I am not familiar with Richard E. Marshall. Uh, look at his credits on Mike's Amazing World shows that he worked on two other comics for Marvel uh, as a writer. So I don't know much more about him. Um, but I will say this. He does an, a decent job. A decent job. We'll get into some details here in a moment, but... The other thing this uh, this magazine is notable for is the Marvel color or Marvel super color or something like that. But it's a color process that allows them to use these painted pages. And it just looks gorgeous. Honestly, it just looks gorgeous. There are some panels in this magazine that could just be a standalone poster just in the magazine. Now, the artist of the cover is Bob Larkin. It's not uh, Gene Colan. But Gene Colan does the interior artwork, and it, it's wonderful. The, the cover art is good. It's very, very good. And, you know, it's the, sh it, the shark is that iconic look of the shark that now gets parodied all over the place. And, you know, the woman's uh, face, I mean, she's just, it's just abject terror on her face as the shark is, you know, she just knows the inevitable is about to happen, and there is nothing she can do about it not a single thing which again like i was talking about that's that's the deal that's what makes shark attacks so scary and what you know in my favorite film uh, horror movies or whatever jaws is way up there alongside with with alien and the difference with alien is that it is completely alien obviously but with, with jaws it is not alien it is 
not of our world, but it is a thing that is not alien. Instead, it is a real thing. And uh, just for the record, shark movies where they make the shark, you know, a super shark like Deep Blue Sea and Deep Blue Sea works for what it is. Um, I do like the movie Orca as well. Uh, I'm not going to talk more, much more about Orca here other than to say um, the boat that went down that we opened the story with is the boat from the first movie, the Orca. And there is a dead Orca in this movie that was killed in a battle with a shark. So for what it's worth, the Orca movie, which came out as a, I think a cash grab, it's not a complete and utter uh, copy, which they did a decent job of trying to make this, make Orca a different movie. Orca is between, you know, a conflict between a mammal and another mammal and both mammals are out for revenge. It's just that one of them is a killer whale and the other is a human. Uh, they do some decent stuff with, you know, making it so it's just not a clone, but I, I do wonder if that orca laying there on the beach, I haven't watched any of the special, I haven't watched the, uh, I watched the special features, but I haven't watched the uh, director's commentary to find out if the orca on the beach is Jaws 2 saying, we, we're going to crush your little movie about the mammal. You know, but if, if it's not, then they, I, I just, I just, I, maybe I don't want to watch the director's commentary because I want to believe that it is, <laughs> that it is them saying that or doing that, but. Um, yeah, so all that said, uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the story here, uh, in the town of Amity, it's three years later and they're still trying to recover economically from all of the hits that the tourist industry took from the shark attacks of the first movie. They're, they're raising money and they're trying to get, um, you know, like a new hotel and they're trying to get investors in the town and that kind of thing. But chief Brody is haunted by those ghosts of the past. And he thinks that there's these disappearances that have been happening, and he thinks a, a shark is uh, the cause of this. And it, it turns out there is a shark that's causing all these people to disappear and boats to explode. And this leads to a showdown. And it's not just the town's economic viability that's at stake. It's Chief Brody's own family. And that's what makes this movie work. That's what makes any monster movie work is you have human characters who are affected by the monster. The monster is just one more thing that is intruding in and it's coming from the outside and causing trouble for the people's lives. But they're also living real lives, or at least you, you have the illusion of that in the movie that they're living real lives. That's what makes a monster movie work. When I watch a Godzilla movie, the best of them are Godzilla movies where you have human characters that are actually doing something that has stakes and that, um, you know, they they actually want to do something and they actually, uh, are motivated and not just, Oh, pointing at the monster. How do we stop it? But there's, there's other things, there's personal things going on. And that's what I like about jaws too. That's, that's, I think that's the thing for me. It's chief Brody that saves jaws too. And that, that makes jaws too worth watching is because you're watching him have to deal with all these things that are going around him. Now there's, here's the conflicts that are going on. The primary conflict of this movie of this and this comic is that there's a teenager who wants to boat with other teenagers and make out with girls, but his parents won't let him because of sharks. And 
it was interesting. I did one of the special features that I did watch. They were talking to the director, and the director was talking about um, racing culture and, and the uh, the drag racing culture of teenagers. And actually, the thing that was caught in like George Lucas's uh, American Graffiti, but that that conflict is totally here, and it's just this boating. Uh, teen culture where they're going out and they're just boating around and they're, they're racing each other and they're um, going to make out point, but make out point is like the lighthouse Island and stuff like that. And so that's a primary conflict. And that totally feeds into the monster conflict because he, you know, the teenager wants to be in the place where the monster is. And the parents don't want him to go because they know the monster is out there. So moral of the story, listen to your parents. Um, they know what they're talking about and they just want to keep you safe. So there's that. The secondary conflict is that everyone thinks Brody's crazy because, you know, he's a hero, but at the same time, he's obsessed with sharks. It seems like he's seeing sharks everywhere and every boating accident or every missing diver. And that that's the other conflict. And so in the last movie, you know, they were concerned about shutting down the beaches because of the loss of money for tourist season. And the conflict there was, you know, we need to, we need to stop the shark. There's a shark and we need to stop it. And now the conflict is there's a shark and no one will believe him that there's a shark. They just think he's, he's crazy. They actually end up firing him from his job uh, because they just don't have confidence in him. And he brings them this photo. It's a photographic proof that there's a shark out there. And in the photo, you can barely tell. But anyway, um, in reading this magazine and reading this adaptation, the artwork, like I said, is, is incredible. Now the shark looks great and is menacing. It's a menacing monster. Uh, I, did notice that it kind of changes scale a little bit depending on the scene. Sometimes it's a little bigger uh, in relation to like the boats and stuff. The other thing with the art is it's gruesome. It is gruesome. It is far more gruesome than the movie that we got. If this comic book was the movie, then it probably wouldn't have been a PG because I mean, limbs are being torn apart and, you know, there you can see the torn limbs just floating in the water, and there's these streams of blood just pouring out of the you know the shark's mouth, but also out of the bodies. The movie itself is a very bloodless movie, uh, all, all things considered, com compared to you know almost any shark movie, really. Um, and that was again something I, I heard them talk about in the, the extra feature was they they had to keep it as a PG movie so they could keep the audience that they had had and they didn't want to lose the kid audience that parents would actually bring to a movie like that because if if it had been rated R they would have cut out that entire range of ticket sales. Something that I found interesting also about this magazine was that there were some typos in the text and. Well, what I found interesting about these typos was that they are the kind that aren't caught by a spell checker. They're the kind that if I was texting or if I was typing in Microsoft Word, they wouldn't have been caught by the spell checker. So you wouldn't have got the red line. You wouldn't have got the green line. Now, maybe if your spell check is really, really good, you might have gotten the green line to check and see uh, for one of them. But one of them was where um, he uh, Brody is investigating 
uh, missing divers. They're looking at the boat that's abandoned and they find um, some pills. And he says, I'm going to send this to the examiner to see if it's, you know, see what it is. And the guy he's talking to says, don't brother. Um, And I think he's supposed to say, don't bother because then he goes on to say, I know what those pills are. I know these kids and they're, you know, the trouble or whatever. But he says, don't brother. And I don't think he's meant to be saying like, don't brother, you know, in the, say the Hulk Hogan sense or the, um, uh, church family sense it's, uh, but that's not one that would have gotten caught by a spell checker. Now, obviously they weren't using spell checkers. I just find it interesting that these weren't caught by the editors. Uh, they weren't caught by the letterer and they weren't caught by the writer and they weren't caught by whoever edited the book to see, you know, that it said, don't brother instead of don't bother. The other one was, um, the mayor is on the beach and he's calling up to Brody. Who's up in a watchtower, uh, with, um, binoculars. And he calls up to him and says, what are you looking from? And, <laughs> I think the question meant to be, what are you looking for? Now, the answer is obvious to both of those questions. What are you looking for? The mayor knows what he's looking for. What are you looking from? The mayor can see what he's looking from. So I just, I I found it interesting that these kind of typos were in this. They were the only ones that I found, um, but they're the kind of typos that wouldn't have been caught on my spell checker writing today uh, without an editor looking over it and saying, Hey, you missed this one because there's no little squiggly line. So, uh, <laughs> another interesting thing from the writing was there was a lot of exposition. Um, I, I mean, a lot of exposition that's explaining what's going on. Uh, one of the, th- <laughs> one bit of exposition that stuck out to me was it says, uh, arriving Brody's arriving home from his in- inquiry. And he is met by his sons, Sean and Mike, and by Andy, quote, the neighborhood fat kid. (laughs) Yeah, it's a different time, you know, but I just found it interesting that that was the not just sole descriptor, but sole description that you get of this of this neighborhood fat kid. Now, he's not as that fat in the movie, but um, yeah, The, the exposition is there to help explain the story, but there are still some transitions that are very abrupt with little establishing what's going on. And I think that's my one nitpick is that as good as the artwork is, um, there are, there are some moments where the transition is just jarring and abrupt, but, uh, you know, scene by scene, it works better than some, um, uh, other adaptations I've read, even with the lack of effective transitions, because this really doesn't feel that cramped. Now the beginning has a whole lot going on. The first half has a whole lot of things to get through. Uh, and I read it before I rewatched the movie because I didn't, I wanted to read it and experience it as a comic book as, as purely as possible and then watch the movie. But both the comic book and the movie do this where there's a lot going on in the first half but it allows the second half you've established all the characters. You've established these teenage characters that are going to be put in danger. You've established um, Brody and his connection. He has two sons who are out on the water uh, and who are in danger with the shark. And so then that allows to build the suspense during the second half where you see, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a slasher movie in, in a lot of ways where you have a group of teens and they're just being taken, taken down one by one by one. 
the other thing that I remember from watching the movie is the climax, which uses um, the natural terrain of the ocean that they're in to uh, create a, a natural solution to their problem in the climax. And in the comic book, they, and I made note of this. And then I also, when I watched the movie, they did it in the movie, but it was more natural. I think because you have panning cameras uh, in the comic book, three times you get Chekhov's electric cable and three times they make sure to show this is a place that we are nearby. So there may be lack of establishment and establishing shots in the comic book adaptation whenever they make a transition from one scene to the next, but they sure do establish the environment that we are in and the geography of things. So, uh, another interesting little bit, um, when the orca washes up on the shore and they're investigating it, uh, there's this three panel, uh, exposition where Brody is trying to figure out what did this to the orca. And he, he's questioning a scientist about this. And the scientist says, I don't think sharks, if this was a shark attack, can transmute any emotions like revenge. Most likely a shark 10 miles out did the job and a dead whale, and the dead whale floated in. Sharks like mammals. Here are our shark chartings. None too close to shore. We try to track them because they produce an antibody that fights cancer. They can save human lives someday. And then Brody replies, that's a switch. Well... That conversation kind of happens in the movie in Jaws 2 in a very different way. And I am so glad that it's in a different way because it's probably the most unscientific thing uh, of the the whole bit here is, is just this exposition about what, you know, sharks like mammals and here's our shark char- shark chartings. And it just feels really unrealistic. Maybe it's real. I, I haven't looked into it to find out what shark charting was like. In the late 70s, um, you know, Peter Benchley uh, did write a book about sharks beyond Jaws to try and make up for the way that he caused people to hate sharks in Jaws. And maybe I should read that or something and, and see if this is actually based on uh, some reality. But the the scientists they bring in or the consultant that they bring in uh, about sharks to investigate the orca in the movie is much better, much better seen. Uh, much more natural dialogue and it just felt like a much better scene. I do think that this comic is based on, if not the early draft, a early draft. I know that there was a rewrite when they brought in a different director and he didn't like the, the screenplay that they had. And it was really interesting. The way they went about it is they kind of figured out what were going to be the big action set pieces. And they did those scenes first while they had a screenwriter rewrite the script to get all the family stuff and the personal stuff. And, and the, um, it, it's very interesting. And those kind of things really interest me to see how things are constructed. And a lot of times a movie like this, you, you see all the things that they're going up against and the movie shouldn't have happened. You know, it shouldn't have even gotten finished. Um, Wizard of Oz is a movie where I just look at it and just think, you know, reading what I've read about the making of that movie, that movie should not be a classic. That movie should be just terrible. And no one should be watching it again based on what it went through to get made. But instead, with all the different people who had their input, with all the different producers and all the different uh, creative people who are working on it uh, and all the different setbacks they had, it, it is. It's a classic. It's a masterpiece. I, I love that movie, Wizard of Oz. So 
the same thing is here is kind of going through all their problems they were having. It shouldn't be as good as it is, uh, honestly. And the comic book itself, you know, it's a pretty, pretty good adaptation. It's different. It is definitely different. Like I said, those attacks are gruesome. You have limbs falling off and blood and everything like that. Um, but it looks good. It looks good. And I just, I don't know. There's just something about the final half of the movie, act three, especially like once you get into the, what you, what I would consider act three anyway. Uh, and it's just the teens surviving versus a shark. Uh, now in the comic, a lot of that stuff really works well. The one thing that doesn't work well in the comic is the helicopter versus a shark. Uh, just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't do anything for me. I was anticipating that panel. What is this panel going to look like when we get to it? Because I remembered the finale with chief Brody and I remembered the helicopter thing. Um, but it ended up being disappointing because it wasn't a sequence. It was just kind of a, a couple panels on one kind of splash panel and then a couple other panels. It, it just it just wasn't as prominent as as I would have liked to, it to have been. So, yeah, so that's Jaws 2, the, the magazine. And uh, it's fun to have these come up. And I always try and watch the movie. Uh, and so what's what's also kind of fun here is with... Jaws 2, it's actually a return of Peter Benchley. Uh, Peter Benchley didn't write Jaws 2, but he wrote Jaws, the original, and this movie uh, gives him credit for creating the characters and you know creating that original situation. But it's also a return for Steven Spielberg, this you know with the Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and um, yeah, I, I think it's fun to do these one-shot movie things. I, I enjoy doing it as a part of the coverage here. And so I'll continue. There's a couple coming up where I'm not sure how I'll get the movie. And then there's some coming up. Well, star Wars, obviously like the empire strikes back and that kind of thing, but there's some coming up later on that I have seen so many times and it'll just be one more. I'll, I'll probably just watch it one more time because Hey, it's for the podcast. You know, it's for the podcast. So uh, for our next segment, we'll be switching gears a little bit, moving from the oceans to the sands of Mars with John Carter, issue number 19. For now, I just want to say thank you for listening and let me know if you liked Jaws 2, if you like the comic book, if you have any experience with the comic book, if you have any experience with the movies, uh, let me know and I will uh, be glad to hear from you. You can email us here at the comic book time machine by emailing to uh, feedback at comic book time machine.com. You can also go to our website, which is comic book time machine.com. Leave a message there. And finally, you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash comic book time machine. So until next time, stay out of the water and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time.
Next episode, War with the Wingmen. John Carter, Warlord of Mars, issue number 19. together really worst film you ever saw well my next one will be better it's the film and water podcast the film and water podcast covers movies new and old classic and uh, not so classic proud member of the fire and water podcast network available weekly on fireandwaterpodcast.com and on itunes and stitcher